Good morning, church. What a blessing to be here today with all you fine-looking folks. It's the first time I've seen uh, the new chairs. You wear them well. You comfy? You get some good sleep last week during Mike's sermon, I hope. Just kidding. Um, Lisa and I have been on the road for uh, the last couple of weeks. We visited a uh, blue state and a purple state with the message for saving the unborn. And in both of the uh, areas that we were in, they had the largest gathering that they had had in over a year, uh, meeting outside and all for the unborn, which I thought was a pretty good deal. Almost half a million dollars raised uh, on behalf of pro-life. Amen. That deserves a round of applause. And we were uh, very humbled uh, to be a, a part of that process and God's kind of got us back out on the road uh, doing what we like to do. Uh, our scripture reader this morning is Jacob Cook. Come on up, Jacob. It says here, Jacob enjoys video games and Star Wars, but he also enjoys playing fetch with his dog and jogging in the neighborhood, which tells me something about you. You're a balanced young man. I like that. Inside and outside, right? Yes, All right. sir. Can we do Sure you do. You're a balanced man, however you want to do it. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Good job, brother. How about a round for him? So last week, um, Mike's lesson that kind of kicked us off down this uh, Roman road uh, was was really a great, and he did a nice job of kind of giving you the overview of the entire book. And I want to go back and kind of begin where he left off, uh, because it really is probably the theme verse for the entire book of Romans, and I would argue even for our entire Christian walk. What a book. What a book to show us. And we started out... Mike and I, we started preaching, we preached the book of John, because it's important for us to always remember that Jesus has to be at the core of everything we do, right? I mean, everything rests on him, his coming, of course, his ministry, his death on a cross, his burial in a tomb that wouldn't hold him, his resurrection, and he's going back to the right hand of the Father. We continue that with a look in the book of Acts at all the great things that happen as a result of Jesus being here. And the acts of the apostles were not just patterns for us to follow. They were much more important than that. They were the testimony of who Jesus is. A testimony that still continues to this very day. So Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, first, of course, Mike pointed out, I am eager and I am obligated. Then the third one of those I am statements in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. What a text, right? By the way, if you're wondering why this church is a special place, our communion talk in this room was one of the reasons why that is. A humble shepherd sharing his heart, sharing his weaknesses, and yet sharing what God does in his glory. 
That's what makes a place special. Because we have hearts that reveal the gospel. So we talked about that the gospel is without shame. Not only are we not ashamed to proclaim it, but we don't have to live in shame. Guess what the gospel does? It takes that shame away. I love it when I get to listen and participate with Lisa sharing our story uh, to audiences. And obviously, abortion is part of her testimony and, and my testimony as well. Even though I wasn't the father, I was a, an instrument of the evil one to lead my future wife astray. And part of that process was the death of a child, her child, would have been our child. And I love it when she shares because I watch that audience and I listen and it gets so quiet that you could hear a pin drop. And these people were so excited to be together and they were making so much noise earlier. But when you start sharing what happened and the consequences of sin, people perk up. But I love it when she finishes because she says, but I don't live in shame. And I don't live in guilt because I serve a God who lifts me up and takes that shame away. That's what the gospel does. That's the power of it. People are surprised when we share. They're not really surprised by what we did or didn't do. They're surprised we're willing to share it. But you know what? When you're unashamed, you'll share anything because you want people to have hope. Amen. The gospel is also the empowerment of salvation. It is a narrow road, and only a few find it. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. So I guess the great modern philosopher Oprah Winfrey is wrong. When she says the mountain of salvation, all roads and all religions lead to the top. There's a great word for that, poppycock. I love that word, poppycock. Nonsense. The word actually is the Dutch word that means fine excrement. So you choose whichever one of those fits. <laughs> to me, Jesus' road is an unpaved, narrow country road. And you got to look to find it. It's sort of like the one described in the Robert Frost poem, you know, the road less traveled. That's the road to eternal life and to salvation. The gospel is the revealer of righteousness, meaning the plan of God that was hatched before creation. And it was implemented through Jesus Christ being on this earth. And now is available for us, all of us, according to Ephesians 3. First the Jew, then the Gentile. The gospel is embraced only through faith, never through works. How many of you have experienced what Dennis described in communion in your past? Where you thought it relied on you. It never did. Paul said these words in Ephesians 2, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
not by works so that no one can boast. You can't do it. You can't earn it. It was never intended for us to. So there's an old saying. I actually found out it was first written in a newspaper in 1833. 180 years ago. The saying is the road to hell is paved with good intent. You've heard of it, too. It's been around 180 years. A lot of people have said it, quoted, including Karl Marx and a bunch of others. I respectfully disagree this morning with that statement. And our text is going to prove it. The road to hell is paved with bad intentions. Very bad intentions. And without Christ and the gospel, every one of us has either been on that road or we're on that road to destruction. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I kind of see this uh, road to destruction or condemnation as, as three lanes. And it's not like that, that country lane that leads to eternal life that's hard to find. This road is easy. It's convenient. It's wide. It looks like the new Arkansas road. Can't, I can't wait to get on Arkansas Road now. What about y'all? I used to avoid it like the plague. Now I can get there as fast as I can. Sometimes I just drive up and down going nowhere just to ride on. <laughs> so you basically have three lanes, big wide lanes that Paul's going to describe in Romans chapter one and into chapter three. The first one we're going to spend time in this morning is the depravity lane. Not good. The second one we're going to touch on just a bit is what I call the comparative lane. It's like a turning lane because you're in the turning lane and you're making fun of everybody on both sides because you think you're better than everybody else. I don't know what kind of driver you are, but I'm the kind of driver that everybody that drives slower than me is an idiot. And everybody that drives faster than me is a moron. Dangerous man. The third lane, which Michael deal with later, is what we call the self-righteous lane. And Paul specifically earmarked that one for his Jewish heritage. And then we're going to find out that all three of these lanes lead into the pit of hell. Destruction. Condemnation. Wrath from God. Let's talk a little bit about this depravity lane, because it's ugly. But, you know, unless you really understand how bad sin is, you don't have a good grasp of how great God's grace is. You have to realize both, even though we don't like to admit it. You see, on this road to destruction, depravity lane, according to Romans 1, 18 through 32, there's some warning signs that should let you know you're on a terrible, terrible path. The first warning sign on this wicked road is that God's wrath rides right along with you when you're on this road. It's right there with you. But don't think of it as God ladling out his wrath on you just because he doesn't like you. You provide the wrath by the lifestyle. And those of you that are listening to me today that have held and led terrible lives Serving anything but God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Wrath. 
18 verse one, chapter one, verse 18 says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. When you remove truth out of the equation, you bring on wrath. Do we not see this every single day in our world around us? So much brokenness, anger, hatred. Why? Wrath. Why are people so angry? Sin. Second warning sign you see is that on this road you are without excuse. See, everybody wants to blame somebody other than themselves, right? No excuses. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. All you got to do is open your eyes and look and you see the hand of God everywhere. You see it in creation. You see it in the marvels of a human body and what we can do and what we're capable of doing. You even see it in what man is able to make because he is from the image of God. And think about all the excuses that people have made. Well, I just don't believe there's a God in spite of everything I've seen. It all just happened. Evolution? Really? I mean, the primordial soup and we just crawled out and flopped around and became this? Creative, amazing, unrelenting people with all this capacity that we want to travel in space, we want to go to Mars, we want to see it all. Why? If we just crawled out and flopped around and became this, why would we care? What are we looking for? We're looking for the power that made everything. Because we know instinctively it's there. You see, God made all men and women in his image. Therefore, there's something in us that attains to be like him. So whether you say he's there or not, you still have the drive. And you're without excuse. If you decide to turn your back against him. Another warning sign is that nothing that you worship in this world can save you or bring you comfort. Why is it that so many people that claim that they don't believe in God want to worship so hard? Verse 21, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts are darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, reptiles, anything to hold up, to bow down and to worship to. Well, Lisa and I were in California last week. It was interesting listening to the commercials on the radio. About every third one was something about the environment or the climate or whatever. And some of them just didn't make a lot of sense to me as I was listening to them. And it hit me that the reason why so many people are so passionate about saving this planet is because they worship it. Not the God that made it. Just everything you see. And I mean, they tie to it and they sacrifice for it and they bow down to the cause. 
And there are many causes like this. It is their worship. That's why they're so passionate about it. I get it. Unfortunately, it's not up to you. As if the planet needed saving by us. You know what? I'm just going to worship and believe the one who made it. And I'm going to let him do what he's going to do. Because he said that he made it and he'll unmake it. No matter what my carbon emissions are. That is serving God. That's why we don't panic about it. Aren't you worried about what's going to happen in 12 years? No. No. I'm worried about how am I going to serve the living God. I'm going to give him praise and glory. Another warning sign on the road, verses 24 to 31, is that there's no depth in this depravity lane. There's no depth that you can't sink to. It's ugly. We know that, right? Instinctively. We see it every day. Paul says you'll go against nature, the very nature that we're made. Obvious human anatomy out the window. You can't tell when someone's born, whether they're male or female. No way. Not until we get a little bit older and have a conversation. Really? You would go against nature, the way you are, the way you're made, the one who made you? Yep. And not only go against it, but tell other people you must celebrate that. Not just acknowledge it, celebrate it. Depravity. You'll go against sanity. I mean, how many insane things? Every day, right, you hear something new, you're like, that's insane. Depravity. I quit being shocked a long time ago at the depth of depravity that human beings can go. And again, I don't want to get in the turning lane and say I'm better than anybody else. I understand it because of my own depravity. I had to give that to the Almighty. You'll go against God. Paul said you will become a God hater and you will hate anyone who is associated with him. Is it true? Yeah. Try speaking out and then read the comments. They'll hate you just for truth, for love. You haters, they'll call you a hater. All you want to do is show a way out of depravity. Try to have people avoid the wrath of God. Why do you want to have this wrath poured into your life every single day? Why do you want to destroy those around you who you say you love and yet you help destroy? It's sick. It's a sinking depravity. In verse 31, he closes this section by saying this. When you're like this, you are senseless. No sense anymore. Lose your senses. You're driven by desire and despair and depravity. They are faithless. Of course, without your senses, no guide to God. No acknowledgement of my actions. No acknowledgement of how they're relating to other people. Faithless. They are heartless. No longer feel or care. 
It's a sad place when you quit caring about other people or yourself. And then they are ruthless. That makes you very dangerous. Violence, maliciousness, just plain old meanness. There's a lot of mean people in this world. One of our new families that meet over with mom and dad across the river, Joe, Jersey Joe, I call him. He told me, he said, Al, best thing I ever did was moving to Monroe and West Monroe, Louisiana. I spent all those years living in New Jersey and everybody around me, all my neighbors were mean. And so was I. He had been here a week. Hurricane comes through. Tree falls on his office. The next day, all of his neighbors were out and some of WFR relief was there cleaning up. He said, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Really? So there are entire places of meanness and depravity. Man, what a wicked, wicked place when we allow our hearts and depravity to rule. I want you to contrast this sinking pit with the story in Luke 15. You remember the young man had gone off to basically sow his wild oats and he ran out of money and he ran out of alcohol and he ran out of friends. And he was left in a pig pen sharing a trough with pigs. The Bible says he came to his senses. See, that's what we do when we come out. We come to our senses. He realized he was starving. He realized that back home there was plenty of food. Why would I want to live like this? And he even said, I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to tell him I have sinned. Now we see faith. Finally, when you come to your senses. An opportunity to go home, to do what's right. And so the Bible says he got up and went. He didn't stay in that pig pen. He didn't stay in that pit of depravity. He got up and he went. He acted on his faith. And when he found his father, he said, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You see that heart change? Now I've come to my senses. I'm understanding faith. I believe it can be better. And I'm willing to admit and care about who I am. And you remember what happened? The father who is representative of God in the story called for a great celebration, restored his sonship, and he welcomed him home. I've experienced that. Have you? Oh, it's so beautiful. The recognition that instead of me receiving what I deserve, I receive a celebration and newness and forgiveness and life change. Verse 32 said, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those that do them. It's a wicked world. Second group he talks to is that turn in lane group. They compare themselves. They look over at the other lane and said, Woo, stinky. Those people are bad. I'm glad I'm not them. Paul said, Oh, you're them. You can't compare yourself to other people. There's always going to be somebody worse, always somebody better. Doesn't matter. 
Each and every one of us has to make our own decision about who we are. And I am no longer worthy unless you make me worthy. And that's the beauty of the gospel. He told them, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Same lane. In fact, I think some people take comfort in knowing that there's someone always worse than me that I can have pity on and look down on and say, that poor sap. Makes me feel better about myself. But you shouldn't. The Bible says those lanes go nowhere. So today, I offer some hope through the gospel. And we need hope, right? Lisa and I were doing an interview one time, and the interviewer said, why would you talk about all this bad stuff in your book? And I said, because we want people to have hope. There's a lot of people in some terrible places. They need to know Jesus. And I'm unashamed of the gospel. I don't live in shame. Therefore, I am unashamed to share what Jesus has done for me. Every single one of us who have come to Christ, who have gotten off of that road, who have found that narrow road, Jesus, that leads to eternal life, we have not only an obligation, but we should be eager to be unashamed and testify to truth. You have that opportunity today and every day. You see, that's the beautiful thing about it is, even if you've been on the road for a while, even though you've caused a lot of destruction, even though you've done a lot of bad things, once you switch lanes, once you get off of that, once you find that Jesus road, clean, clean, living good, not because you're good, but because he has prepared good works for you to do long in advance because of his grace. If you need to get right this morning with Jesus, if you need to get off of the destruction and depravity lane, today's your day. All it takes is a proclamation. You get up from the pig pen. You go to the Father. I have sinned. I am not worthy. And then we're going to have a celebration. Because someone who's lost can be found. If you have that need today, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?